My resolutions for 2023 was to read at least six books. Well, one of the books that I read was Kristen Baver's Star Wars 100 Objects. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with you about 10 items from that book. Make yourself a Pasana Pop and a Crimson Dawn Cooler because we're going to blast off right into this episode of the Rambling Star Wars Fan. These are a few of my favorite things. Hey, old buddies. Welcome to the Rambling Star Wars Fan. If you don't recognize my voice, I'm Ken, the host of this show. If you do recognize it, I'm sorry, and I'm glad you're back. Today's show is going to have two parts. I'm going to talk with you about a book written by Kristen Baver, and I'm also going to debut a new segment of this show called Podcast Suggestions, or PS. Yep, it is exactly what it sounds like, and I'll explain more about that when we get there. But first up, let's talk about Kristen and her incredible book. Kristen is Star Wars famous in a variety of ways. She's the associate editor of StarWars.com. She's written several articles for Star Wars Insider. And she's even hosted a stage at a couple different Star Wars celebrations throughout the years. She's also the host of This Week in Star Wars. In addition to that, she's also the author of Star Wars Timelines, Star Wars, Skywalker, A Family at War, and a story in the From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi edition. And in this episode, we're going to talk about one of her other books. The book that is at the core of today's episode is called Star Wars 100 Objects, Illuminating Items from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. This book was written from an in-universe perspective, as if all of the items were real historic relics. The items are even grouped into four eras, much like actual artifacts. The eras are the Republic Era, the Imperial Era, the New Republic Era, and the First Order Era. And then in this book, there are weapons and helmets, pieces of fancy jewelry, and random tools. This book could very easily serve as a directory of the items in Luthen Rail Shop on Coruscant. To me, it's even more incredible to know that each item pictured was put together by creative crafty makers as a work of art that ended up on screen in a Star Wars film for all of us to enjoy. So before I get into talking about the 10 items on my list, I want to mention that some of the items play important parts in the movie, while others simply exist in the background without any special attention played to them or paid to them. And see, that's what I think the, one of the magical things about Star Wars is that these movies were filmed kind of sort of like documentaries in which the camera was supposed to cap that, capture the actions of the characters as they went about doing whatever business that they were doing at the time. So in one scene, where they might be flying a spaceship or attending in a meeting, and in another scene, they might be eating a meal or just two characters talking to each other. And even in the simplest of scenes, where there were only two characters, the sets were filled with many of the things that you'd expect to see at any given moment. If they were in a hangar, there would be tools and spaceship parts lying around. If they were in a dining room, there might be dishes and silverware, various food items, and maybe even some in-universe decor like flower vases and wall art. See, 
even though these events took place in a galaxy far, far away, they looked believable thanks to the prop makers and the incredible artisans that were involved in bringing these movies to life. And that's one of the wonderful things about this particular book is it highlights, it showcases 100 items from Star Wars. And so with that said, let's start off with my first item. The first item on my list is the Ambin Sniper Rifle. This item made its debut in 1978 as part of a cartoon in the Star Wars Holiday Special, and then it almost broke the internet in 2018 when Jon Favreau posted a picture of one on Instagram as a teaser to what would have been the would become the first season of The Mandalorian. You see, this is a, a, a rifle where the barrel end of it looks like a tuning fork, and its stock, about four feet away, is made of some sort of wood. And this gun not only has a has a cool looking scope on the side, it also can fire rounds that can disintegrate creatures. And in addition to that, on top of it all, it can even stun folks. So this is one heck of a powerful weapon. The next item on my list is the Death Star plans. From the perspective of moviegoers, the Death Star plan started out as a slim object inserted into a three-legged robot that looked a little bit like a trash can with blinking lights. Later on in that same movie, the plans became animated digital schematics that were displayed during a military staff meeting. If we fast forward a few decades later, the plans were housed in what looked like a Betamax video cassette with a handle that were stolen from a tall tower on an islandy beach planet named Scarif. That is the version of the plans that I'm talking about that show up on page 100 of this book. These plans are so cool to me that I even went so far as to build a version of them. I cut up bits of EVA foam of various thicknesses and sizes, glued them together and added a bunch of paint and I carried that thing around my set of the Death Star plans as we went through the convention center for Star Wars Celebration and got pictures taken with a bunch of different Star Wars costumers including Krennic and some Rebels and I believe somewhere in my 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 album is a picture with uh, someone dressed like Jyn Erso and my favorite picture from that day was one where we were lucky enough to get see Steve Sansweet from Rancho Obi-Wan to pose for a picture with the Star Wars plans, the Star Wars Death Star plans that I made. And those plans, that, that prop that I made is so treasured, even though it's not as fancy as the one that shows up in the book, it's such a treasured item in, in our house that I hung it on the wall in our wall of fame, which is surrounded by other pictures that we had gotten taken with various Star Wars fans like Jeremy Bullock, Ahmed Best, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher. Speaking of Jin Erso, they also included her Stormy doll in this book. And Star Wars toys have had a special place in my world for a very long time. As a kid, I'd carry them around in shoe boxes and plastic cases. I even built huts for them out of sticks and milk cartons. I would look through holiday catalogs, I'd figure out which ones were coming out, and I can remember standing in toy aisles just staring at all of their plastic glory um, when I was younger. 
as an adult, my affinity for them and appreciation for Star Wars toys is at a, at a really wild level. On one hand, I know that they can be minimized into just mere playthings for kids. And I also understand that these tiny pieces of plastic have been designed by craftspeople that have been played with by children all over the world. They were the sources of joy for many, many people and the inspirations for some that turned into to, to lifelong careers. And I think it's fantastic that they went so far as to create or, or showcase an item in this book about a, a plaything for a child in the movie. The next item on the list is a staff of power. And no, I'm not talking about this futuristic war weapon. I'm talking about an item that is a jumbled assemblage, assemblage of bone, feathers, leather, and wood. It was reported to have belonged to the Ewok shaman called Logray that we saw in Return of the Jedi, the Ewok adventure movies, and even the Ewoks cartoon. We all know my appreciation for the Ewoks is boundless, and I'm glad that they put an item into this book that came from that furry race of creatures on the planet moon of Endor. I mean, it's kind of wild to think that on one hand, you've got these super advanced items that are made out of fantastic elements like Beskar and Transparis steel, while at the other end of the spectrum, you have an item like this, the Staff of Power that is fabricated out of the simplest of materials like feathers and wood, and they're shown in the same book with equal importance. So whether we're talking about advanced scientific weaponry or something that was, was carried around the, the, the village by a, an Ewok elder, they both are equally worth showcasing and showing. The next entry on my list feels a little unfair. It's listed as X-Wing pilot helmets. And even though it's a single item in the book, there are 14 unique pictures for those helmets. And it's interesting to see the unique paint schemes and the scuffed surfaces of these X-Wing pilot helmets in comparison to the, the shiny, stark black conformity of the Empire's TIE fighter pilots. And from a prop maker's perspective, I think there's some very interesting things to take note of related to these helmets. See, the original helmets were crafted by Andrew Ainsworth at Shepard and Design Studios in London. He used a US APH-6B pilot helmet as the base for these creations. And the APH helmet was one worn by pilots during the Vietnam War. And this particular one was given to him by John Malo. He was the costume designer for Star Wars. Andrew vacuum formed the ABH helmet, cut it in half, and then added that center mohawk or ridge and amber visors to the to the helmets. And one of the things that was interesting about that, the, the visors themselves were, were put on there, the, the amber visors were put on there so that the, the, they didn't obscure the faces of the characters. And that ridge on the helmet just added a unique quality that modified the real world helmet that it, that it came from, that, that, that it was designed based on. Then if you take it one step further, the, the stormtroopers and the 
TIE fighter pilots, their faces were completely covered. You know, so it gave them that that menacing, impersonal look to their helmets, unlike the unique versions of these helmets that the that the rebels wore. Moving on to the next item on my list is the ancient Jedi text. And if you have ever listened to this show, you know I'm a huge fan of Star Wars and a huge fan of books in general. And so the ancient Jedi text hit me in one of my sweet spots. I think it's wonderful that they would bother to put such low-tech props in a space fantasy movie. And these, these books themselves support the idea that the Jedi and their teaching have been around long before they were recorded on data pads and, and holocrons and the information on the pages of these books were written during other eras and were meant to be passed on from jedi to jedi to jedi and again from a prop maker's perspective these items are so cool i mean they actually took the time to faction at fashion actual books out of different materials and even went so far as to write on them in star wars languages and draw different charts and different page different images on the pages some of them showed up on screen of Rise of Skywalker, and some of them were only viewed by the prop makers and the rest of the crew. I know that I would definitely snatch these up if they decided to, to make actual replicas of these and, and put them out there for us to buy. The seventh item on my list is, is kind of a combination of high-tech and low-tech. It's the homing beacon bracelet. And see, this was an electronic device with a fancy name, and I think it was called something to the effect of the S-thread transmitter that could send signals across the galaxy and still be worn as a bracelet attached to a simple cord. And the symbolism of this particular item shouldn't be overlooked either. You see, it was a gift from Leia, the mother, one of the mothers of the Resistance, to Rey to help connect her to the, the larger rebel family, no matter where she was in the galaxy. Eighth item on my list is actually a, a fantastic piece of art in all senses of the word. It was the Great Sith Wars Bass Relief. This large three-dimensional frieze hung on the wall in Senator Palpatine's office. And it was supposed to depict the legendary Great Hyperspace War between the Sith and the Jedi. The actual prop was designed by Eric Tiemens and sculpted by Richard Miller. And Eric went so far as to say the idea behind the archaeological freeze in Palpatine's office is that it depicts an event. George was very clear about making it dynamic and somewhat gory scene of Jedi and aliens fighting each other. So, I mean, this was an actual... So if you think about that for a minute, in addition to being involved in the decisions behind who would bring the, to life the various characters and the designs of ships and worlds, George had ideas for how he wanted the small office spaces to look, all the way down to pieces of art that hung on the wall as characters walked by. It's pretty, pretty creative and, and pretty incredible when you think that he had that much attention to that much detail in, in these movies, even the, the early ones, the prequel ones. Item number nine on the list is going to get me to shift gears from large pieces of artwork to an object that can be held in the palm of your hand, specifically Han's dice that hung in the, contact, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Hanging dice and other good luck charms got its start during World War II. Pilots used to hang things in the cockpits of their, their planes, and this practice continued after 
World War II ended when the service members returned home and those dice started showing up hung up in cars and I would bet a few credits that George and his cruising buddies had some of them hanging from the mirrors in their hot rod. I'm embarrassed to mention that I never noticed these dice in the original film and I must have seen that movie hundreds of times and it wasn't until I saw them highlighted in The Last Jedi that they, they, they popped out at me and I was lucky enough um, as a human being, as a, as, a, as a member of the real world, to have been given a, given a set of them. And so now they're a wonderful prize in my personal and ever-expanding collection of Star Wars items. Now, the dice that I just mentioned were tiny items in a new hope and barely noticed. However, the next relic was a centerpiece of a very important scene. This relic from the first Star Wars movie that also showed up in The Force Awakens, Solo, Rogue One, Rise of Skywalker, and Batu West and East, not to mention countless nerd dens across the galaxy. See, I'm talking about the hollow chest table. On, you know, around which we learn that Wookiees can be smarter than droids in certain instances and far, far stronger. See, to me, it's an incredible thing that something as mundane and ordinary as a game table could be elevated to something magical. It was on that black and silver table where stop-motion creatures designed by Phil Tippett and John Berg battled in holographic splendor. It was a very a very wonderful example of old world old film techniques coupled with George Lucas's modern sensibilities in the space opera. In fact, one of our friends, Mike Hinton, from the Inflatable Falcon fame, he's actually in the process of building one of these hollow chest tables just a few steps away from his podcast studio. And from what I understand, you can even buy 3D files that will allow you to print these at home if you don't want to buy them or if you don't want to travel to Black Spire Outpost and pick up some of your own. So I've given you my list of 10 items from the book that I truly appreciate. 10 of the 100 objects that are on display in Kristen's Baver's book. And I absolutely positively think that you should pick it up. I mean, the first item that I talked about was a fantasy weapon that got its start in a cartoon. And the last item that I talked about was a game table around which Wookiees and droids played this magical game of hollow chest. And one of the things I absolutely positively love about the book is that they're still making things from it. Fans are pouring over pages like this to recreate these items for their own enjoyment in their own homes or to, to share them with the world. And Star Wars is, is one of those properties that's several parts science fiction, several parts fantasy, and even more parts magical. And it and the items that were created by its storytellers and craftspeople have memorized us and inspired fans, young and old, for the better part of four decades. And more importantly than all of that, they continue to do so. They continue to put their, their creative juices together to craft wonderful objects that have rich history, rich fantasy history, and they go so far as to put them on screen or put them in, in theme parks for us to enjoy. And if you can't tell by listening to this episode, please let me say it out loud for the entire universe to hear. I absolutely positively love Kristen Baver's book, Star Wars 100 Objects. Knowing what I know about Star Wars, I could I think they could do many more books like this. Heck, they could even make them more topic specific. They could write one about 100 blasters or 100 jackets, 100 flashing control panels, or even 100 decor items. 
go ahead. Try and tell me that you're not interested in learning more about that fling and catch toy that hung up in Anakin Skywalker's boyhood home or the dishes that Edie Karn had in her apartment on Coruscant. See, I have enough books of my own and have seen enough coffee table books to know that there's a big market out there for things like this. So, Kristen, if you're listening to this episode, please ask Pablo to make more of these happen. In fact, I'm more than willing to be a co-author with you or an assistant researcher or whatever else you need in order for me to or order, need from me in order to make something like this come to life. At the top of this show, I mentioned that I'm adding a new segment to this podcast called Podcast Suggestions. February 7th, which is Star Wars Podcast Day, is coming up, and I thought it would be fun for me to share the names of other Star Wars podcasts for you. So if you like this show, I think you might also like listening to other podcasts. Even though I cannot suggest Star Wars, Geek Girl, The Beskar Bucket, or The Inflatable Falcon enough, today's suggestions are for two other shows. First show is The Pod Awakens, and it's not to be confused with The Awakening by P.O.D. This Star Wars podcast is hosted by a gentleman named Jordan and has been around since December 2020. On his show, he does recaps of live-action shows like The Mandalorian and Ahsoka, as well as the animated shows like Bad Batch. In fact, his most recent episodes have been a chronological recap of the animated Clone Wars series. And one of the cool things about what he's been doing with that is he's rewatching them and talking with his friend Logan, who's watching them for the very first time. So it's a unique experience getting to getting to hear um, impressions and thoughts on these shows that have been around for a while from a, a fairly newcomer to the to the animated Clone Wars stuff. The other show that I want all of you to check out is the Bantha Milk Podcast. That show, a part of the Ears Up Network, is hosted by Rob and Tom. In fact, Mike Hinton from The Inflatable Falcon and Zoe Hinton from Star Wars Geek Girl recently recorded an episode of Around the Dejeric Table with them where they took turns asking questions um, that are seemingly random in the in the Star Wars universe. I was lucky enough to be on an episode of that show with Rob, Tom, and Colton Ogburn, who's from Screen Crush, the YouTube channel. It was a ton of fun, and I think you'd enjoy listening to it as well. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Rambling Star Wars Fan. Next on the docket will be for me to record and share two episodes for Star Wars Podcast Day. Yep, that's right. I'll be posting two episodes on February 7th. One episode will be me talking about my 25 favorite things from the Ewok Adventures Caravan of Courage, and the other episode will be me talking about my 25 favorite things from The Phantom Menace. Both movies are celebrating milestone anniversaries this year, which happens to be the same year that we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of Star Wars Podcast Day. I'll be posting a request for your favorite things associated with those movies, and if you comment on on the Facebook post I'll be make I will make sure to, to read your entries on the show when I record them so between now and the next time our paths cross please remember to drink your bantha milk eat your space vitamins and remember that the force will be with you always <laughs>